good to have a full choir and, and to see that choir filling up and to hear the, the sound of the harmony and all that. And thank you, choir, for such a beautiful song and Miss Glenda for playing and Bill for leading in our worship, uh, in our song service today. And so uh, as we get back into our study in the doctrine of worship today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. A very famous story, uh, probably the most famous story about Abraham himself. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and turn there, you'll, you'll want to read along with me, even though I'm sure you know this story by heart. Uh, but as we begin our time of study together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning grateful for the ministry of your word. Lord, we're grateful for the Gideons and for their witness in this world, as we've already heard how you use such a simple method of lay people who are ready to serve you, who give of their own time and money to support the translation of Bibles and the, the way that they have so carefully worked to ensure that the cost is, is minimal to produce these Bibles and yet the impact so great that the Word of God could go forth to the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, we're, we're amazed at how you use just regular laymen doing their work day in and day out to bring about the furthering of your kingdom through the proclamation of your word. And Father, we're amazed by your word and how it's so timely and, and pertinent to our lives today, even though it was written 2,000 plus years ago as you use the testimony of prophets and farmers and uh, princes and all of these different men throughout the ages who testified through the work of your spirit to the truth of who you are. So Lord, we come today humbly submitting to the power of your word, asking that you would minister to us through it and that you would use me as the minister of this church to preach faithfully according to that word. Father, that we would all be changed from one degree of glory into another, into the image of your Son. Father, I pray that your spirit would be present, that you would work in our hearts, that the word would not return to you void, but it would accomplish that which you have sent it out to do. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. So we've been in this series for few uh, several months now of looking at the doctrine of worship what uh, why we worship who it is that we worship and we've turned in the last couple of weeks to the question of what worship is and so we've been doing a little bit of a vocabulary as we've looked at definitions of what worship is and the main focus that I've spent is on the Hebrew words for that we as English-speaking people translate into the word worship. And we started by looking at the Hebrew word abide. And we saw in studying the Hebrew word abide that worship can be understood as the act of aligning all of our lives under the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ. So last week, we moved on from the word abide to looking at the other word for worship that we find in the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew word saha. And the Hebrew word saha is used, you know, I think 40 something times in the Old Testament. And it's usually the word that we have translated in our Old Testament as worship. 
but it's also used a lot of different ways. And so what we've done is last week we went back to the first time the word Saha is ever used, and it's used in Genesis chapter 18. And what we saw in that first look at the word Saha is that worship is the act of reverently communing with God through the presence of His Spirit. And so today we're going to look at the second time that the word Saha is used in the Bible. And we're going to see that in this famous story of Abraham's near sacrifice of his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. So let's look at Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 through 14. And then I want to give you kind of my introductory definition of what worship is through this uh, passage, and then we'll break that down and, and study it in depth. So let's read together Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. God's word says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the, on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of this place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided." So from this passage, I want you to see that worship 
is the act of giving all of our lives to God as an offering of praise. Worship is the act of giving all of our lives to God as an offering of, play, of praise. And we're going to look at this very simply today. We're going to look at two points, and I'm not going to alliterate them too much, but what we're going to look at is what the text says about Abraham and what the text says about God. So what the text says about Abraham and what the text says about God. So to start with, let's consider just a few, a couple of things about what the text says about Abraham, about the character of Abraham or the faith of Abraham. And there are two aspects of Abraham's character that I want you to notice today. The first thing is simply this. Abraham placed the worthiness of God above everything else in his life, including his son. Abraham placed the worthiness of God, God's worthiness above all of creation, above everything that is made, but not just above creation, but the things that mattered to him. He placed God above everything else in his life, including his son. Now, my favorite philosopher is the 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard or Kierkegaard. And Soren Kierkegaard was so amazed by this story, so enamored by the story of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son that he just couldn't get over it. He was so astounded by it that he wrote a 300 page book that is his most famous book, which is called Fear and Trembling. And in that book, Kierkegaard points out that this act makes no sense. The fact that Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son, it doesn't make any sense from an ethical perspective. I want you to think about for a second, what would cause you, if you have a child or a grandchild, or even if you just have thought about what it would be like to have a child, you can, you can relate to this question. Just imagine what would it take to cause you to be willing to sacrifice your child. Now, some of us might be willing, just barely willing, to consider the possibility of sacrificing our child if it meant that it would benefit someone else. I mean, I'm not saying we would do it, but we might give it just the smallest sense of consideration if it meant that someone who needed a, a transplant would benefit from our child's uh, organ or something like that. Or somewhat, if it put our child at risk to give his bone marrow to save a relative, we might be willing to do that to put our child at risk to save that other person. But it would be just a bare consideration in our minds. Or you might be able to stomach the idea of sacrificing your child for the sake of the greater good, for, for some high moral reason like sending your child off to war. You might be able to be willing to do, uh, be willing to do that, but neither of those situations is what Abraham is doing here. He's not giving his child for the sake of someone else's life. And he's not giving his child for the sake of the greater moral good. Abraham wasn't doing this as a benefit for mankind or because of some oath that he had taken or out of some sense of honor. 
Abraham was willing to sacrifice this son of promise simply and only because God commanded it. He is willing to do it, ready to do it, gets up early in the morning to do it, simply and only because God commanded it. And Kierkegaard said that Abraham had reached the point in his life of faith where he, what Kierkegaard says, is he related absolutely to the absolute. In other words, nothing else mattered to Abraham. What his wife thought didn't matter. What his servants thought didn't matter. What the world would think didn't matter. The only thing that mattered in his life, the only thing that he related to was the absolute God of the universe. This wasn't a question for Abraham of meeting his own desires. And this wasn't a question of being an ethical person. And that's important for us to understand in our day because in our day and in our culture, many break down religion into either the therapeutic or the ethical. We as Christians, we feel like, unfortunately, that we have to justify our faith based on, number one, the good that it brings us, the benefits that it brings us. It makes us feel better. It makes us happier. It makes us more sane, whatever it is. We feel like we have to justify our faith based on the benefits it brings us, or we feel like because of the world's demands, we have to justify it based on the ethical principles that we have in religion. And so you see a lot of, if you watch a news report or an interview with a a pastor or a, a, a reporter will often try to direct the conversation based on what good the pastor thinks you can get out of religion. And what we fail to recognize is that religion, our faith in Christ, matters more than just what we get out of it. And it matters more than the good rules and the happiness that we get from being an ethical person. The question for Abraham was not meeting some desire that he had, and it wasn't being an ethical person. The question for Abraham was singularly this. It was a question of worship. The question for Abraham was a question of worship. In fact, you'll notice that Abraham puts that very situation, puts puts the situation in those very terms in verse five. Look again at verse five. It says that he turns to his two servants uh, and he tells them to stay there while me and the boy go and do what? Worship. And that is the Hebrew word sahah. Abraham believed that God was worthy of everything he had, including his son. So if God required everything of him, even his son, he would give it. And the second aspect of Abraham's character that I want you to notice is that Abraham trusted in the goodness of God, even though he didn't understand it. He trusted that God had a purpose for what he was asking, and he trusted that it would ultimately be good, even though he didn't understand it. Notice verse 5 again. Abraham tells his servants that I and the boy will go and worship 
And your translation may even say, and we will come back again. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19 says that Abraham did all of this by faith because he believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead to keep his promise. He believed that he didn't understand what was going to happen. He didn't know what God's intention was, but he knew what God had promised. And he knew that his son was the son of promise. And so that he, he believed that even if God had to raise Isaac from the dead, he would do it to keep his promise. He knew that God was good. And Abraham had 25 years of proof in God's faithfulness. He knew that God had been with him wherever he went. He knew that God had kept his promise. Even when Abraham and Sarah tried to, be, tried to do things by their own wits and shortcut, shortcut God's plan. He knew that nothing was impossible for God. Because he had taken a man that was as good as dead and a woman who had a dead womb. And out of that, he caused a child to be born. He trusted in the goodness of God, even when he was called to sacrifice the one thing that was most precious to him. Abraham's faith in God brings me to what the text says about God. So the second thing that I want you to see is what this passage says about God. Abraham knew that God was gracious and that he would provide. On the way up the mountain, Isaac is, is walking along with his father and he's carrying the wood for the sacrifice and he gets to look in and he says, all right, we got wood, we got fire, we got a knife, but where's the lamb? And he thinks, I imagine Isaac thinks, oh, great. You know, dad is 100 years old or 115 years old and he probably forgot the lamb. And so he turns to his dad in verse seven and he says, dad, I see the wood. And I see the fire, but where is the lamp? And notice Abraham's response in verse 8. He tells his son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the sacrifice. Later on, as Abram is ready to plunge the knife into this son of promise, an angel of the Lord stays Abraham's hand and he directs his eyes to a ram who is caught in the bush. You see, even if Abraham had sacrificed his son of promise that day, it still would not have been enough. Even if he had done this one faithful act, it still would not have been enough to make himself acceptable before God. Because you know the story of Abraham, right? For every faithful act that Abraham carried out, there was an equal and opposite sinful act that you find in the very next chapter that Abraham would do. Abraham could not, even with this most obedient of actions, make himself acceptable before God. But Abraham's near sacrifice of his son points forward to another sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. One day, thousands of years later, 
there would be another son of promise who would be called to offer himself as a sacrifice. Like Isaac, who carried the wood for his sacrifice on his back, this new son of promise would carry the wood of a Roman cross on his. Like Isaac, who ascended a hill to the place of sacrifice, this new son of promise would be driven out of Jerusalem and up a hill called Golgotha. Like Isaac, who willingly laid down so that his father might pierce him, so too this new son of promise would willingly take the piercings of sinful men to fulfill the will of his father. Yet there's one difference between Isaac and this new son of promise. This new son of promise is also a spotless lamb. On the hill of Calvary, God provided the lamb that would take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, the true son of promise, the true son of God. Jesus, in his sacrifice, has made us acceptable before God. And he has proven that God is the gracious Lord that Abraham always knew him to be. It is because of his great mercies that we are called to worship this God with our whole lives. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our right response to the great mercy of God in Jesus Christ is that we would use our bodies in such a way that it pleases Him. There's a, an oxymoron, in, or it's a seeming contradiction or paradox in this, this statement that Paul makes in Romans, 1, or Romans 12, 1, when he says to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Have you ever known a living sacrifice? The whole idea of a sacrifice is to die. But Paul says that we're to take our bodies and use our bodies to the glory of God so that we don't use our bodies like the world tells us we should. The world tells us to use them up and show them out, to to do whatever we want to with our bodies, to abuse substances, to do whatever we want to in our relationships, to live in whatever way we choose to live because our bodies don't really matter. We've only got 80 years with them anyway, so do what you can as long as you can. But Paul says that our bodies are a sacrifice to God. So we don't use them for our own benefit. We use them to the glory of God. We use them to worship Him. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. So not only are our bodies to be used as a sacrifice of worship to God, but our words are too. We should gladly and readily acknowledge God before men because He is worthy of our praise. Amen. 
The writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 16 to say, Do not neglect to, be, to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So our bodies should be a sacrifice, our words should be a sacrifice, and our possessions should be shared as a sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, the whole of our lives should be given to God as an act of sacrificial worship. Now we do that as we bring our bodies to church and as we sing songs of confession to praise God and we use our lips, as the writer of Hebrews says, and as we give to, to the ministry of the church or to the ministry of the Gideons or however it is, and we use our possessions as a sacrifice of worship. But we also should do that outside of these walls. We are calling the calling that Paul gives us in Romans 12 is to live as a sacrifice. So I've asked each time we've looked at uh, one of these definitions of worship, I've said that I want to make this a real application for you each time we look at it. And so I've put the scenario to you each time of can you worship God at a baseball game? And We've looked at how each one of these different definitions of worship should be applied in that case. But let me give you some, some scenarios about a baseball game that help us to understand how we can live as sacrifices even at a baseball game. So with our bodies, how do we live as a living sacrifice at a baseball game with our bodies? Now, obviously, if you're playing the game, that application is fairly easy. You do your best. You give your body as a, as a uh, you perform to the best of your ability. You, you uh, show your skills and your talents. And in that, you glorify God. God made you with talents and gifts that you can use to glorify God. If you're a carpenter, glorify God with your carpentry. If you're a, uh, uh, you enjoy gardening, glorify God with your gardening. You can use your body in the talents and gifts that you have to bring glory to God. And so if you're playing baseball, play to the best of your ability, glorify God in that. If you're watching baseball, though, avoid the, the temptations of this life that draw us to use our bodies in ways that would not glorify God. So don't be tempted by lust at a baseball game. Don't be uh, abusive in the way that you speak, in the way that you act towards others, even in the way that you physically act towards others. And on the positive side, care for others. Be servants at a baseball game. Maybe if somebody breaks in line at the concession stand, you don't go off on them. Instead, you encourage them to go ahead. I know that's a revolutionary idea, but it's okay if you don't get your hot dog in another five minutes. You'll be all right. The hot dog's not that good anyway. <laughs> so we can use our bodies to glorify God even at a baseball game. Secondly, we can use our words. The words are pretty obvious in this scenario. We can guard our speech, number one. But number two, we can witness to Christ. We can look for opportunities 
at a baseball game. In fact, that might be one of the only opportunities we have left to interact with people that are not believers, thanks to Facebook and Twitter and all those things uh, making us so individualistic. But we can use our speech to talk to people about Jesus, to invite them to church. William had a great testimony about that in Sunday school this morning. And then lastly, we can use our possessions. We can give graciously. We can respect others, even at a baseball game. We can offer our chair to someone who needs it. We can take the time to help someone out of the stadium. We can use the time and possessions that we have as a sacrifice to God, even at a baseball game. Brothers and sisters, we are called to use the whole of our lives, everything we are, as a sacrifice of praise to God. May we leave this place ready to worship Him with our lives, living as sacrifices for Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the ministry of Your Word and for the truth that it reveals about who You are and our position in relation to You, that we can glorify You in the sacrifices we give of our bodies as we live in obedience to you and use our bodies to glorify you in the things that we do with our words as we speak and praise you to other men so that they might come to faith in you and as we guard our words so that we don't say things that would distract from your glory and with our possessions as we give and support ministries like the Gideons to build up the kingdom through the ministry of your word. Father, I pray that we would indeed live in a sacrificial way every day of our lives as we serve others through the callings that you have given us and through the words that we speak and the possessions that we give and share. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.